So put yes in the group if you can put yes in the comments if you can hear. Yep. Okay. Cool. Hear me, yeah. Okay, cool. great, brilliant. All right, no problem. Um so yeah, just going back to peer pressure, um, I was saying that peer pressure is one of the hardest things that people have to deal with. How can they make their way around that, especially because it's your friends and everything? Yeah. And what I was saying basically, uh for me, peer pressure is the number one um influence on any child, more so than your own parents. And the example I was given was that it starts off as something very minor. Your parents say, okay, your curfew is 7 p.m. But your friends who you hang around in the neighborhood, their curfew is 8.30. So they'll be like laughing at you or saying, oh, we're going to stay a bit longer. And because of that pressure, you feel like, okay, even though your parents have told you to be home at 7, you decide yeah, to go against that. And it starts even when I go into schools, I told kids from young as 6, 7 about not laughing at other people because of what they've got so someone might have high techs or no brand trainers yeah and the other kids all got nike and so on because the other kid hasn't got that that peer pressure and that laughing at him that sort of bullying of him makes him say you know what this gang member is going to give me 20 30 pound a day to go and hold these guns and sell these drugs that way i can buy my trainers so therefore that's how the peer pressure gets added onto as well so and it's hard it's hard because everybody wants to be cool yeah. in school and that's what i'm trying to teach i'm trying to sort of say like nerds are cool as well being book smart is cool as well i'm trying to push that agenda now because yeah. what it is i mean i think i've done that story of how bad again, girls love bad boys sometimes in school and that's what leads some kids to become bad and all yeah. so it's sort of about trying to make the, the the smart kid be the cool kid again per se because it is difficult because you want to be the guy that the girls like you want to be the one that's invited to the parties and so on so peer pressure is very very hard to sort of deal with just by the education mm -hmm. And what I think a lot of that that can help you steer away from that is um, that just knowing yourself, like self-awareness and, mm -hmm. and understanding who you are, making decisions based on your own compass rather than the compass of your friends, it helps you make decisions, especially the critical ones, because yeah. you will know, I don't want to be in that situation, so I'm not going to do that. So if someone calls you to ride out or whatever, you're like, nah, but that's not my beef. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I think I've done the story like yesterday on YouTube about that as well but it, it, it's very difficult because like I yeah. said once you're part of a group yeah. and you represent this group and you guys all sort of swear, swear allegiance to each other yeah. and one person in that group gets beaten up by someone else even though it's his personal beef you feel upon yourself you need to go and take out that beef and that's how so many kids are now sitting life in jail because they went to yes. go and back a beef that they didn't and like it's it's very as an adult, it's very easy for us to say, yeah, let, let me know my own moral compass, let me know follow. But when you're young and your brain's still developing, you don't actually see that. You just think, you know what, this is the cool thing to do. I'm going to carry a knife. I'm going to go ride out in the up block with everyone else as well. So it's very difficult. And most of them only realise that when it's too late, when they're ready to get in their sentence and they think, oh, why the hell did I do that? And it's crazy. Yeah. For you, was there any... Um... Was there anything that you regret kind of doing in those like PYG days or that played on your conscience during that time? Because some people, sometimes it seems like that lifestyle is, uh, it's unremorseful. You did what you had to do. Um, you know, you don't care. Was there any times that you did things that you were like, you know what, that was dead. I shouldn't have done that. No, hundred percent. I mean, the PYGs were a few years younger than me. So I was in the YYPB. I know there's lots of well, different yeah. yeah, But yes, but <laughs> is that, um, 100% I said it in one of the videos, there's a time when um, we've done a street robbery 
and my friends ended up punching the boy in his face and he broke his glasses. And for me, I went home and cried about that because I was like, what the hell am I involved in sort of thing? So, it's, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I never used to, it's bad to say, I used to go and do these things, but I always had a conscience. So when I was doing it, I knew there were bad things, but I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't glorify it. Like say, yes, we beat at those guys. Yes, I've done that robbery. It was a thing more like, you've done it to make the money, but you still know that it's wrong. There's some people who don't feel that what they're doing is wrong. There's some people who are just out there, like, you know what, we're going to go and shoot those people. And that's what we're about. But I've yeah. always had it within me. Is like, like I said, first and foremost, I'm a Christian. So yeah. there's many people in the Bible who've done wrong as well. But you need to know, first and foremost, understand, have the understanding of being a good person. So there's many things that I've done on the roads, which I regretted. I mean, there's nothing I can say I took joy from. It's not, it's not yeah. a, a nice experience. The only thing I look back at with sort of happiness is the friendships that I've bond that I've made. So yeah. those some of those friendships I've lasted for long. Like my business partner Brian, for example, he's someone I met in the Peckham Boys and twenty years later we're still good friends and we're both yeah. sort of legitimate. He never ever went to prison and he went to university. So I look back on the friendships that I've made with with with, with um yeah with 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 fondness but some of the actions we've done, no, I, like, I mean, I look back and I cringe sometimes. I think myself, bloody hell. Sometimes I feel like a hypocrite because yeah. I'll be like, I'm teaching, all the, I'm preaching to all these kids and saying this and for myself, wow, some of the stuff you've done was crazy yourself. So yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. So you're almost sometimes, it's, it's sometimes catch 22 for you. Like, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. How was, how was your, um, what was your parents' view on that, the situations that were happening in terms of all your brothers in that kind of lifestyle so find out so the thing is i don't think um so i grew up with my uncle and auntie who are basically my parents yeah basically they, they raised me but i grew up with my cousins who i treat as my brothers mm -hmm. so i don't think they were ever that they ever realized that I was in, in a gang i don't think they ever knew it was in a gang i never even think they actually knew what was going on because mm -hmm. i guess sometimes as Africans who come here in the 80s, parents who come in the 80s, they primarily come here to look for a better life and make money. And sometimes we come into the UK without the sort of degrees of um, and, the, and the qualifications that you, you later get in life is that you have to settle for whatever jobs you can. So for them to pay their bills, they'll have to work certain jobs. So my dad was doing sort of night shifts as a cabman. My mum will be going to do um, house cleaning um, at a um, hotel. So them doing all of that was something that wouldn't allow them time to say to feel okay what are these kids up to what they're doing and it was funny because my, my my biological father was someone that was of money i came for money but when i when i came to living with my uncle now it's totally different so for me it's not like we didn't have because we had every day we had food to eat we had some yeah. we had my brothers had the good stuff so but i guess it's just again it's that paper so my parents weren't really aware of what was going on on the streets then they hit, oh, you've been arrested. How the hell did you get arrested? Yeah. Most African parents, you get the beats, like belts and everything like that, as, as, yeah, yeah. as you do. And, but there wasn't really, there wasn't much awareness. And if I'm completely honest, it's like, we were both my uncle and auntie and my biological parents, I always tell them the same things, that you guys will always sort of tell me off and say, oh, why did you do this? Why did you do that? But no one ever denied the money. No one ever did not accept my money. Everyone accepted the money. Yeah. Yeah. If they did, what would that have an effect? They did. They did have money. 
I don't know. I mean, I think I probably would have still been doing it and go, yeah, I've got the money. But for me, it's an added bit of bonus. I guess it sort of authenticated a little bit what I was doing. Because, like, okay, uh-huh. like, I'm doing it and you guys are complaining about it, but, <laughs> but you're taking the money. So, yeah. therefore, in essence, I'm doing the right thing kind of thing because I'm, I'm helping you guys basically as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people fall into that situation where, like, if they're trapping or whatever they're doing and it's helping the household, yeah. Especially from single parent households, if you are helping your mum and filling that void that might be in the house, mm. you're taking care of the bills, you're taking care of the rent. How bad is it or how bad can it be what I'm doing? Do you know what though? What I found, what I found, I realised later, a lot of people use that as an excuse. And if you ask their parents, their parents will be like, what money? Do you hear all these rappers? Yeah, I had to do what I had to do to look after mum. She was a single mum and so on. And the mum would be like, what money? You didn't give me no money. Like, that was you for you to go and buy your Versace and your machinos and so on. What do you mean? Like, so a lot of times people use that as an excuse, I believe. Interesting. Um, let me ask you about, um, at the moment, you've seen the stuff with 6 9 and everything. Yeah. Uh, how this kind of street culture is creeping into popular culture. So the street code, for example, no snitching is now he's made it kind of like a popular thing mm. how is that viewed on on i guess from the perspective of the roads what do you think of it bringing it into like a popular culture thing because not everybody civilians don't live by that yeah road, and that's what i said i mentioned this the other day i was having a conversation in a group chat and i said what we must remember is that 99.9 percent of the population are law-abiding citizens 0.1 percent are probably the criminals and the ones who live by a certain rules, certain lifestyle. Mm. So I guess platforms who sort of say, oh, he's wrong, he's wrong, he's wrong, are right to say he's wrong in in what they promote and who follows them. But yeah. if it's Sky News and everyone, they'll be like, oh, good on him for telling the truth and so on. So for me, the best thing is that don't go into that lifestyle because in that lifestyle, you know what the rules are beforehand. So you know the rules that someone might be sleeping with your with your your missus you know someone might be trying to cheat you you know someone so you know these rules so if you're going to be a gang member living by those rules you have to retaliate the way the gangs would you can't then turn around and say oh you know what i'm tapping out i'm not involved no more um i didn't know what i was doing because when you was instigating it you knew what you was doing so in a law abiding way he, he done what he done but in a in 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 the hood in the streets he's he's filed for that so, so. Um, after a period of time, you went to ended up going to prison for the armed robbery and everything. Um, how did you? What, how did you survive prison? What was your mentality going in and then settling in? Uh, because you went to get you got your your degrees. Um, you know, you did a lot in prison. What was your mentality and how did you survive in there? The, the first day when I was remanded, when the, the I went to I went to I, we just got arrested. Uh, we, we, we rubbed £27,000 from Rains Park train station um, and we got caught in Wimbledon. And I just thought, okay, as I've been arrested before in time, the judge is going to bail me out to come back to another day. But they turned around and said, uh, yeah, remanded in custody. I was like, what? I look at my, my sister like, what do you mean remanded? I got football tomorrow. I cried. I was crying. I was like, what? I'm going to jail. I, at that point, I said, oh my God. Like, you're actually going to jail. Like, I always feel like, I'm never going to jail. Like even when I was doing security for robberies, it's like I'll do a few and that'll be it. I, I set myself. But what happened is agreed. But and I said it in one of my stories on YouTube was that when I got in a prison van to go to the prison, 
I realized that one of my friends from school and another guy that was from Peckham as well was on the van and he clocked me. I was like, yo. Then when he was there, that sort of reassured and that sort of wiping the tears, like, yo, yo, what's going on? I had to sort of do that pretense of not being scared no more because I was yeah. looking at Phil. I'm, I'm hearing all these things about Phil. So it weren't until like, when I started talking to him on the van, he's like, yeah, my man is in there, this guy's in there. I'm like, right, like, what? The whole team's in there, like, people that I've grown up with are all yeah. in there. So I'm like, all right, calm. So when we got to the, the to the, um, Felton prison, I remember they put me on the wing, they put me in the cell. I looked and there was t- there's a TV there. I was thinking, oh, fucking, I'm going to be bored. Because when, you're in, the, when you're, in the, you're in the police cell, just bore them. You can't wait to get the police cell, yeah. just bore them. So sometimes when you get arrested, you can't wait to go to prison. Because you know you're going to be charged, you can't wait to go to prison. Yeah. But when you're in the police cell, just act to bore them. So I was quite surprised when I got to film and I was like, oh, there's a TV. I sat down to my uh, chocolate biscuits and watched East Enders. And I thought, yeah, this, this is calm. But it was at night time when that did, because at that time in Feltham, they switched off your TV at 12, at 12 o'clock. So yeah. at midnight, your TV switched off. Only, so what you need to do, your room has to be immaculate. You have to make your bed, you have to be out of bed by a certain time. So when you come, when, when they come and inspect your room, they give you a score out of 100. If you score 100 for cleanliness in your room, your TV kept, it kept on all night. So wow. my TV got not my, my TV got I don't I don't know if it's changed now, but that's when it was that was two thousand and seven. So the TV got locked off and then that's when it was just my thoughts. And I could see airplanes uh, from my window because is near Heathrow, so you can see airplanes going on. And I was just playing the game. I played like, these little stupid games with myself, like thinking, where's this plane going? And I think oh, I might be going to Congo, I might be going to wherever it's going. And then yeah. when it was time to sort of sleep, I was like, I'm in jail. I mean, I was trying to reach for my phone. I'm like, you ain't even got a phone. So it was very surreal. It's very... Then the next day, my, my, my brethren, uh, young Marv, who I'm working and collaborating with a few stuff there, he's like, yo, what's going on? I'm like, right, you're on the wing as well. And then I was just all right. It felt like a youth club at the time. It felt like a youth club when I was in film. Because I was one of the older ones. I was 20. I was one of the older ones. And a lot of people in film were between sort of 16 to so. 16, yeah. Yes, and, I, and I'm, I was, I'm quite tall. So I've been six foot two for, for a long while now. So it's a thing that where I'm a bit sizable as well. So I got a bit of size on me. So it wasn't a thing that where anyone could really try a thing. And because I had the affiliation of a lot of people from Peckham, I kind of settled in really quick yeah, while I was in there. How did you um, make the most of the time? Because some people go in, it is a holiday. Yeah. Um, and they come out and it's like, whatever. But you know, you, you studied there, you, you got your degrees criminology what made you go that way again that that mindset no so this this is what happened basically so initially i didn't have that mindset initially like yeah i'm gonna come out and think no when i get out i'm gonna be a bit smarter about how i do things because i knew doing security band robberies was making me uh, a lot of money so yeah. i just thought yeah i got caught because of my own stupidity next time it won't be so much so initially when i got um sentenced i got sentenced to uh five years to do two and a half and what happened was the only thing I'd done really was read my Bible. And that's how I knew so much about it. I used to leave the, love the Bible stories. But once I was released, that's why I say it's eight years because I'd done seven months out and I was back in jail again for more security robberies. Wow. So it was only on that second point when they rearrested me again while I was out, I knew, I said, I'm going to spend a long time in jail. I knew the judge was going to try and crucify me. So my first day there was like, you know what? let me go to the uh, education department. So I was in HAP Penteville and told him, look, I was in a top set at school. 
I went to um, college. I studied for four A-levels, but I dropped out. I want to get my education going back again. But what they told me was that everyone comes to them and told them, oh, they want to do a degree, degree, and they waste money giving people funding, and then the people just give up. So they've done a test with me. So like for a whole month, they gave me different tests to do to take back to my cell, and I was doing it. And when they proved that, you know what, he's actually on it, they gave me um, a chance to do my uh, degree in community and social policy. And then I also wrote two books while I was in there. Nice. So we writing those two books. It was based around a murder that I was arrested for. And everyone sort of wanted to know, like, what was your involvement in that? So when I done the book, it's a bit of a sort of a thriller, thinking, did he do it? Did he not do it? Yeah. And I just give people snippets on Facebook and it just took off. Like, everyone's reading it in prisons everywhere. And from the back of that, I think, you know what, I'm going to release it when I come out. And that's just when I started filming the series, when I've, when I've come out and the life I live. But also, I had a casino while I was in jail. I had a bookies. I had a shop. So um, I've always been sort of entrepreneurial. So whenever, wherever you put me, I try to make the most of it. And for me, all the money you're making outside, when you go inside, people forget about you. Like, you you ask someone, yo, send me some pee, and you'll be waiting forever. So in the end... I decided to open my own casino. I decided to open my own uh, bookie so people used to come to me to do their football bets, to do their horse racing. And that added so much income into that it also helped me to sort of send money back to my daughter because my daughter had been born and I couldn't provide. So I'll be like, my, I'll put money in my sister's account and she'll send to her. So it kept me occupied. It kept me yeah. occupied. How was it being, how old was your daughter at that time? When I, when I, when I, when I initially went in the first time, um, she wasn't born, so she was born um, 18th of June 2008, and that was like when I was already in jail for like four months. So I, I, I missed that, and then, oh, as I said, that my other daughter just woken up now. <laughs> she must be sleeping, but yeah. Um, yeah, so she, oh, she's coming over. Hey. Oh, but I got to sleep. Okay, I'm sorry, the baby's involved now. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> You're meant to be sleeping, Baba. <laughs> yeah, so, um, hey. say hello. <laughs> Cutie. Okay. Well, let me try turn this to sleep. Come on. You need to sleep. Good night. Good night. Go to sleep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so she was, uh, and then when I was, she was 18 months when I went back in, and, and if we didn't get to really have a relationship until four, five years ago when I was actually released properly and stayed out of prison so it's allowed me to sort of excuse me build that bond with her afterwards but we never initially had that because all she ever knew was me in jail and i remember she used to come to, to, yeah. to my sister used to call me and say like oh she said how come her daddy never picks her up from school that's the sort of thing that used to hurt me because she would have her friend's dad that will pick her up from school is that oh how come my dad never picks me up from school and sort of trying to explain to that and later on, as she's growing up, she's, I guess she's very proud. She's like, oh, my, she tells her friends, oh, my daddy's on this YouTube show or on this because she's seen me on different shows and that. So it allows her to sort of be proud of uh, something that I've changed around to be as well. Nice. And how do you, as a parent now, um, navigate like, raising your children because of where you've kind of come from? Um, like the stuff that you talk about, are you open with them about everything and letting them know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's 18, no, 20 months now, 19 months, 20, she's 20 months now, so she's still, she doesn't, she ain't got a clue, but, like, I always called her my best friend, because um, with my with, with my grown-up daughter, like I said, we built up a relationship afterwards, but, like, she's very, what can I say, um, she's very Essex, because she lives in Essex, so it's like, 
even today, uh, when I was dropping her to my sister's house, going through Homerton, she went, I don't like this area. I'm like, what do you like this area? She said, this looks very dangerous. It looks very dangerous. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like what makes it dangerous? She said, I don't know. Just, it looks very dangerous. So, but she's very much of a way, because like, she knows what I went to prison for. I've yeah. always told her about it. So always, one of the things I always tell her about, it, what do you want to do when you grow up? Don't make mistakes and so on. And yeah. um, I guess the difference with um, Sarai, which is um, the, the, the girl here, is that I never got to experience my daughter being born, my first daughter being born. So with her, with Sarai, I saw, I saw everything from the scan, from uh, being there at the birth, watching her walk for the first time, watching yeah. her trying to speak, eat. So it's like, it, it fills me with so much joy and it makes me think, you know what, I need to try harder. I need to try harder to make sure like I set the standards for them. So even to a point that we're taking that life insurance that I know that, okay, let me leave them a legacy so if anything ever happens to me, that I left them something that they, they, they can have a start with. So it's, it's, it's changed me as a, as a person. I mean, I've still got my flaws. I've still got things I need to work on. Every day is still a struggle. Yeah. But it's, it's something that, um, that yeah, I mean, I, I want a son as well. I could just, for, I purely for football reasons, I want a son as well. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Nice. Um, so you came out of prison and um, started hacking with the club. Why? Why football? Because you could have just been, I don't know, you could have just been a lover of football and that's it. Mm. But you said, nah, I see that there's no team. Let me create a team. What made you go that kind of route? So initially when I was in jail, I used to get the non-league paper, which is basically a weekly uh, newspaper about non-league football teams and so on. And I was desperate to come back and re resurrect my career because I played some pro myself. And I remember I used to write letters to different teams that when I come out of prison, um, I said, I told them I'm getting my DCAT, which means I can start again. I said, I want to come and train with your team. Some teams were like, yeah. But then when I got out, it was like, I looked at the time as well. I looked at, oh, let me start a team. It's all right. I was like, let me start a team. Let me start a team in Peckham. About, uh -oh. I was like, <laughs> let me start a team in Peckham. And then I realized there's already a Peckham Town FC. I was like, oh, God. I even had the whole nickname for it. I made a badge. I said, we're going to call ourselves the Dell Boys after Only Fools and Horses, guys. Well, nice. But um, I got out and I went to play football again. My old team, Corinthian Casuals, they invited me over to come and play. And I remember traveling far and I wasn't fit and I wasn't playing matches. Now, for them to stay local and looking at teams in Hackney, and there was only one team, uh, uh, Sport in Hackney, and they're like in the 12th tier of British football. I'm like, they're so far down, and I remember doing it, trying to do a little mini documentary myself about yeah. non-league football. And I remember being in, um, near the Hackney Marshes, I saw a group of young men playing football, and they were telling me, oh, they be, so one got released from Arsenal, one got released from Coventry, they just come there every day to keep fit and get ready for pre-season, for next season and so on. I was like, well, there's no local team. They're like, no, they're like, there's no local team. I told them there and then, you know, guys, I'm going to start a team. And they all laughed at me because they, they even joke about it to this day, they're like, I had on, I had on, um, what do you call it, boot cut jeans and slippers, Ooh. and I was like, I was like who's this bushman that's <laughs> telling us he's gonna come and start a football club? But yeah, yeah. from there, then, from that day, I said I'm gonna start a football team for the local area, mm. and then I was looking at names in Hackneywick, the area that my mum lived at. So I said, you know, I'm gonna call it Hackneywick. So and that's where we, we started. How did you see? How did it have an effect on the young boys that were coming, um, having that team there? Oh, amazing! I mean. When you start a team, everybody's Tori the Ronaldo 
they 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 ruining it. So when I start the team, like, yeah, I'm a good player, I'm a good player. Because at that point, it's about giving opportunity to anyone, but just to start up the team. Yeah. But what I told them, what that, uh, my mindset was, you don't just play for the team. When you play for the team, you actually have to represent the team. By representing the team, you have to volunteer. Because I'm saying, if you want the people of Hackney to support you, yeah. you must also support the people of Hackney. So I set a standard that if you play for the team, you have to subscribe to uh, volunteering at least two hours a month to different causes. It don't happen all the time. Whenever something's on, I'll message the group chat, guys, I need three or four of you guys to go and volunteer over here. Yeah. They're all registered to volunteer. So with that, it actually starts giving them sort of skill sets to go and be organised, get somewhere on time, work within a team and so on. And then we start getting them job opportunities and so on. So with a lot of them, it's changed their lives around where was that they were, they were just going to play for a football team, but now there's a football team with, with responsibilities. But some of them now, like Jaden, for example, he coaches our women's team. We've got Serge, who coaches our under-12 team. So it's about sort of giving them the skill sets to actually help them with their own lives, get them paid, but also they can bring back to their community too. Yes, 100%. I love that, man. Tell me about, um, was there any, like, wow stories that you had, like young people that came from the team and just went on to do massive things? I mean, there's two players, uh, Luizon, he's over at Tottenham at the moment, and also a girl yeah. called Bianca, she's also at Tottenham at the moment. And oh yeah, like I said, for example, I mentioned Jaden all the time, like we got him his first ever job, he's now coaching our women's team. Um, Simon's been with me since he was 19, he got his degree, he's now working for, and we've and I really, it's so funny, this is this is the part that I find so funny, that like I've got a criminal record, I've only been out of prison five years ago, but people come to me, for references, oh, I'm, I'm going for a job. Can I put it down as a reference? And I think myself like me, like, and so many people got the job, their jobs on the back of that. Employers will call me, go, oh, hi, are you Bobby? I'm like, yeah. So and so's put you down as a reference to get this job. Can you tell me about them? And I give them a good reference. I think myself, wait, me is getting these people into jobs, so it's so it's great. So we've got like feel good stories all the time. At the same time, we have we do have our tragic stories. I mean, we've got one player who. um um, end up getting arrested and convicted for attempted murder, and which was this was like literally the second game into our um, initial season when we first started. He had one of the number nine kits, so I was calling like, "Where's the number nine kit? I'm coming soon." And then he didn't turn up. And then later on, my other friend called me. Do you see what your player done? Like, what? No, he done a murder at a time he got arrested for murder, but he got convicted of uh, sort of manslaughter in the end actually. So. There's a thing that where you think to yourself that as much as you're trying to save everyone, they need to also save themselves as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Can we have a round of applause in the comments section, please? Just give me your hands up. <laughs> because that's, that's beautiful work. And it doesn't always get um, it doesn't always get shouted about, but there's people in the community that are trying to do what they can to make it better. And you're doing that well. So that's that's one of the main reasons I really wanted to like talk with you because it's it, I love it, and I'm, I'm, I don't even know you personally, personally, but I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of how you turn your life and how you turn others' life around. Seriously, man. Um, how, so going on to like um, the stories that you tell on your lives and like your YouTube, you go into detail. <laughs> you go into detail, names, everything. How do how do you navigate that? Do you, do you have oh, I mean. I mean, I've got a lot of backlash from so many people. So, initially, how it started. So, remember, I said I, was, I wrote the two books while I was in prison. Mm. So, everybody that reads the book used to tell me the same thing all the time. The book is too descriptive. 
this has to be a series. This has. starting a football club so that's going to be coming out soon on some big platforms however i said you know what everybody's always likes a story that i told in jail so i'm going to produce this myself so i've got a whole team together and we started we've got all the local young people to be actors and give them opportunities to write the script so we started filming that but i wanted to set the tone of peckham oh, hold on, Bobby, of hold on. they're saying they can't hear again <laughs> oh, okay. is that better now Okay, cool. That's better now. Okay. Oh, he's back. Okay, cool. Okay, where, where should I go from? When, when did I stop hearing from? You said you got an agent. Yeah, so basically I got an agent who um, has got some a, a big production company to buy the rights uh, to my life story of coming out of prison and starting a football club. So it's the same company that makes um, Discovery or Riches for Sky One. His dark matters for BBC One. So they bought the rights to tell my story, basically. Ah. But I... I wanted to tell the story of the prison stories and the, why I got arrested for murder and how my life changed to, to, to sort of get kids against the, against the whole peer pressure thing, how I got arrested for, how I ended up getting arrested for murder when I was a good footballer. So to set the tone for that, I started telling tales of different murders in Peckham. So when I go, this is the story of so-and-so. And then from there, it started blowing up. Everyone started reading. And then obviously there were some cases that people were happy with, I guess, family members will be unhappy right like if they're saying why this person telling the story of my son or my what you call it and i was basically trying to say look i'd mean no disrespect but i'm telling the story of what is already out there i'm not saying that what i'm saying is fact but what it is that a family member say this is not true that that's not what happened but that's you telling me this so i i, I can't take your word for that if that makes sense because you can tell me your version right but all i say is that i'm not saying what i'm saying is the truth i'm saying this is what was reported in court yep. So from the back of that, it started getting, and I mean, there were some cases people from Peckham would call my brother and say, oh, I'll tell your brother, what is he doing? Why has he put that up and so on? And yeah. people get angry about so-and-so. And there'll be others, which understandable, where, where some were unsolved. People were like, no, 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 put that down, because that could be a bit peak for. So I said, cool, I'll take those ones down. And then it got to the point that where people from different areas, and like I said, I started with Peckham, because I wanted to set the scene for my, my series. Because I wanted yeah. to understand how Peckham was in 2005, to 2000 and, um, 2011 when the series is set. And then people from everywhere start saying, oh, can you do a story of this one in Lewisham? Can you do a story of this one in Streatham and this one in Leicester so and Birmingham? People are starting to request it. Yes, and it got to a point where it got to that. Everyone wanted to so I started putting it on YouTube because the whole point was like, you know what? It's, I'm all about ownership. So I'm like, I can try to put this on someone else's platform, but why not create my own platform and put the series on there? So I started building up the fan base through that so by the time the series comes out we're gonna have people following it and then um i remember just doing an instagram live um last year talking about um prison and how it gets crazy in prison and it got to 200,000 views on instagram i was like whoa that was crazy i had 200,000 views on instagram people really wanted to hear the story so i ended up putting it on youtube and then i done a story about being banged with a life on youtube just three weeks ago and then it took off and then before I knew it, and I done a story of being recruited as a Peckham boy. To this day, it's got 240,000 views. And I'm thinking, that's numbers that um, musicians hope to get. And, and people actually buying into these stories, they like it. And at the yeah. same time, again, I have people from Peckham calling and saying, oh, 
um, telling my brother, oh, he hasn't got the right to talk about this story or that person and this person. And I had to sort of rebut with that and say, wait a minute, I'm from Peckham. I grew up there. You can't tell me I can't talk about... I, I, unless I'm saying I saw this person shot, shoot this person, I'm saying I was with this person when this person happened. So you can't take away my experience with that person. Could there be some people saying that, oh, you can't talk about this person because he died. And But I'm like, I can still explain it in terms of give a learning point. Then some people, old school people from Peckham, like Raver, he's come to me and said, Bro, I fully support what you're doing. Like, no one can tell you, no one can tell us that you're not from Peckham. You was there from the beginning. So, even then, someone even started a, a, a page where they're trying to troll me and my brother saying, that, Oh, you guys are not from Peckham. And Raver said, that, okay, I dare you speak about these guys like that. That these are these are these are my guys that were there from Peckham. So, and what I realized, what I'm struggling to do, and I'm and I said it, I said it yesterday, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start, I have to start ignoring trolls because where it is. There's all gonna be someone who have an opinion. And if I'm trying to teach kids about peer pressure and say, look, don't listen to other people, I need to follow set by example. And if someone comments something negatively, just bless them and say, Oh, good on you. But it's actually taken off, like to the point that where I'm telling more people to start getting to their lives because my story is interesting, yeah, because I started having football clubs, but there's people with deeper stories than me. And I'm saying, if I wasn't the baddest person from Peckham and my views are like this. Imagine your story, who who yeah. done all of this in Peckham. What your and like I said, I got paid a thousand pound from YouTube last month just for my stories. Ooh. So if I can make a thousand pound from YouTube for my stories, what more can you guys do? So soon about empowering and also encouraging people to take ownership of their own stories, their yeah. own lives, and make more money for themselves as well. Yeah. And the thing is, these stories give um, they give a human touch to it because when you talk about your stories. Mm -hmm. you talk about you went and cried because someone got punched in the face mm. then i realized that oh you know what nobody is out here just on a heartless thing 100 mm. yeah. percent there's feelings like people have family people have friends yeah. people have concerns that even though you're a gunman you still cry there's still mm. issues that you're dealing with and i think it's important to yeah tell your story from your perspective to show these people, the youngest especially, that there are lessons to be learned through this madness, especially that you're still here and you're still mm. alive. There's people that have gone through madness, unfortunately passed away or they didn't like, but mm. you come out on the other end, still standing and have learned things. And I think it's the lessons that we need to get out there that, you know what, I get it, but I get it, but yeah, sure I mean, like I said, first and foremost, we're all human beings with emotions. Yeah, but even the baddest of bad man, when he goes home to his mum, he's respectful. Like, mum said, go and take out the bin. He's taking out the bin. Yeah. Go and take the room. But on the streets, he's got a different persona. So if we can try to tap into that human side of it, because there'll be people yeah. who message me, like, and I, sometimes I feel so bad because my inbox is so inundated, so inundated that I'll see a message and feel, okay, I need to respond, I need to respond. But there's so much messages and people wishing me well, people telling me, look, can I look into this for them? Can I? And I want to help everyone, but I just can't. But I'm so overwhelmed that people are actually taking these stories and say, you know what? That helped me change my mindset, you know? What you told me in that story there has made me go a different way. I'm now I'm seeing no one's been telling us the truth like this. People make glorify the roles and, and exactly. as you've seen the consequences of it actually helps that. But for anyone that's listening who's messaged me and I've not messaged you back, total apologies. There's just so much and I can't get through them all. Yeah, beautiful. Um last question I want to ask is um what would be your advice for someone who's in that madness? They watch your stuff, you know, they follow what you're doing, they wanna get out, but they just don't know how. What what steps could they take that could each, help 
I love I love this um, saying that goes: a journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. So it might be a thing that where you hang around with your friends every day, you might reduce it. You might start hanging around money three times a day. Because yeah. on that fourth day is the day that they went and done a murder. Yeah. But you didn't go with them that day. You didn't hang around with them that day. So the less you do the things that you normally do, yeah, the easier it becomes to take away yourself from that. The hard part of it is that those who are in it, who are making money through illegal activities, because I can't now say, look, here's money i can't put money in your pockets but i'm trying yeah. to teach you how to make money for example now i started selling tabo three weeks ago yes yeah and it's basically the same essence of shooting i'm going around buying a whole um load cooking it selling it up and reloading again and i just talk, yeah. talk, talk people an illegal so illegal um trade again the youtube i just started telling my story and now it's got me paid a thousand pounds just from youtube so there's different ways you can make money. All you have to do, and my saying is think outside the blocks. So it was people mm. think bigger than in the environment, think Love bigger that. than who they hang around with. Because you, your, your friend is your friend for now. But yeah. many, many people who you hang around with when you're 15, 16, you won't hang around with them in 15 years' time. It's true. It's, it's very rare that you'll be with them with 15 years' time. Some will get killed, some will go to jail. And remember, once you start having kids and children and, 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 and family, that becomes your priority, not your shoe family no more. That becomes your priority. So I just tell them, like, look at the consequences. Don't look at just what I've been saying. Look at the stories I've been telling. From the, when I say this is the story of Gavin, this is the story of Paul. All those murders that happened, take heed and look, that could be you as well. And to an extent, COVID-19 has been a harsh, harsh reality for what's been going on at the moment. But I think it saved so many youths. Ooh. It has saved so many years. Because by now, we'll probably be on our 78th teenage murder right now. Yeah, I didn't think Heading into the summer, we'll be getting yeah. to that. So, so many kids now are saved because they're not visibly wow. active. So, yeah, man. I didn't see it like that at all. Damn. Bro, thank you so much for... I appreciate it. ...your time, man. And... Uh, I, like, I always, I always will be championing what you're doing because it's amazing things you're doing for the community. Big up Shay um, for connecting us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, big up Shay, man. Big up Shay. <laughs> Anytime you need, like, to push your stuff, like, we're here, one hundred percent. When that, that stuff fun. takes off with the book as well, please let us know because we want to keep pushing that. Like, people like you put you out there, let people see you, man. So, God bless nah, you, bless your family, bro. Um, we wish you all the best, man. Nah, I appreciate Take it, man. Have a good time, people. Take, Take care, man. Think outside Bye. <laughs> Guys, thank you for joining us, man. 21 Questions with Bobby Kasanga. Um, I want you to write some things in the comment section that you kind of took away from today's conversation. Um, he said, like it, like he said at the end, like, think outside the blocks that's powerful you know and you can see all his kind of entrepreneurial steps he's taken with the food uh, with the football with the books with the youtube fit outside the four uh, the four walls but also the four corners of your block there's more there's so much more out there we just need to take a trip outside your ends and realize there's more outside the ends the roads the stabbings the killings and all that and i'm not even in that life so i can't even I'm not saying it's that easy, but you can see from his stories and you can see from what he talks about uh, that there are other avenues you can take, you know. Um, let's see what things you took away. I think I took away was thinking before, I don't know what he said there. Um, look at the bigger picture, what some of the things that he said. Um, all football I'm involved. Um, 
we're allowed to ask questions. Oh, time's kind of, yeah, I would have done questions, but time's talking the hardest. Uh, think outside the blocks. Cool. All right, guys, well done. Thank you for tuning in. Um, this is going to be on our IGTV. It's also going to be on our YouTube page, Sit Down UK. Uh, it's going to be on our podcast page on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. All of it, the Sit Down UK, I'll put it right here so you can see. All right. All right. And if you want to follow anything that we're doing, just make sure you follow this page. Uh, we do it every Thursday, 21 questions, where we invite different guests on and just ask as many questions as we can within that time. Thank you for your time. I've been IC. Take care and God bless.